Our speaker this morning is one of our own Board of Trustee members, Dr. Samuel J. Barkat. Dr. Barkat is Vice President of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and the Director of its Multi-Ethnic Ministries. He received his B.A. from Murray College in Pakistan, a B.A. from Tennessee Temple College, an M.S. and Ph.D. in Psychology from the University of Tennessee, and he's done postdoctoral work and studies in psychology at the New School for Social Research in New York and New York University and Columbia University. For 31 years, Dr. Barkat has been highly involved in higher education. In fact, he was the Vice President for Academic Affairs at King's College for many years. He's an educator, a psychologist, a consultant, and a frequent speaker. He's currently the Senior Administrator of a national Christian organization, as I mentioned, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which has a staff of over 500 people and serves 25,000 students on 800 major college campuses or universities. Dr. Barquette brings to us a wealth from his own personal life and development. He shared with the Board of Trustees yesterday a very powerful speech, very reflective on what our nature as a college needs to be about. Part of the Westmont education is to become increasingly aware of the global situation. And part of being at a college is to think deeply about it. And so for the next three chapels and convocations, we're going to be reflecting on the nature of taking the good news of Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. How do we go about that? using our minds, using our disciplines, analyzing the globe, analyzing how do we effectively use the simple trust which was sung about, and how do we go through that descent and that ascent in our own lives so that throughout it we serve Christ and glorify his name, not only here, but in every country in the world. And today, Dr. Barkat will be leading off these reflections on how we exalt and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the global context. On Monday, I'll be preaching from the Gospel of John on a section dealing with this topic. And on Wednesday, Dean Hirsch, Mr. Dean Hirsch will be with us, who's also here on our board and is with World Vision, and he will be closing off those reflections. So would you please welcome this morning Dr. Samuel Barkat. How many of you are happy that you are student at Westmont College? How many of you are happy that you are not at Biola? How many of you are happy that you are alive? (laughs) 
Now that's much better than some of the other alternatives to being alive. I hear all sorts of good things about Westmont in my own home. One of our sons graduated from Westmont and uh, besides majoring in Frisbee, he did lots of other good things. Uh, I admire our faculty here at the college. I'm very glad that uh, Dr. Stan Gady has come as the provost. I think we are in for some good days here at the college. And I have the highest regard for our president, Dr. Winter, who is not only a good leader here, but around the country, he's recognized as a leader in higher education and an outstanding spokesperson for Christian higher education. And I'm very honored to be affiliated with the Westmont College. Just a minute for commercial. Some of you have heard about uh, Urbana. This is a conference, a convention, InterVarsity holds every third year. Billy Graham has said that this is probably one event, one function that has done more for world missions than anything else he knows of. This is the year, Urbana 96. Some of you are going, I've heard about that. Others, if you're interested in, if I can answer any questions later on, I'll be glad to do that. This event is held every third year, as I said. This time it'll be December 27th through the 31st. There will be approximately 1,900 to 20, no, sorry, 19 to 20,000 students from across this country and Canada from most, if not all, of the outstanding institutions in this country, institutions like Westmont and Harvard and uh, Berkeley and UCLA. So I would encourage you to attend. The main purpose, this convention is for Christian students. The purpose is here the students come to find to talk to each other and to hear from others as to what God would have them do in their lives. So we would welcome you there. I am very thankful to God for missions. In some ways, I'm a product of some of the missionary work that has been done in the world. It was John Hyde, who because of his prayer life is known as praying Hyde, who went to that part of the world where I come from. At that time, it was called India, Pakistan and India. I'm originally from Pakistan. He labored there. That was many years before I came on the scene. And it was at that particular place where he started the Christian work. And still, every year in the month of September, the Word of God is preached and people are given an opportunity to come to know Christ as their Savior. And this is where I came to know Christ as my Savior. So on one hand I say, keep on the good work.
Sometimes it is very difficult to see the results of the mission work if it were not for somebody like Praying Hyde probably I will not be standing here as a Christian and talking to you on the other hand the world has changed and we need to think of missions in some very different ways than we did 50 years ago or 30 years ago in a world where balance of power is fast shifting, where the nation-statehood concept is changing, where the information age is bringing distant cultures, religions, and peoples into each other's laps, and where people of different Faiths are moving into each other's backyards. What is our responsibility in sharing the claims of Jesus Christ in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world? What should our methodology, what should our strategy our approach be in this time and age to share the claims of Christ. In trying to answer this question for myself, I've been highly influenced by some recent writings by different ones. And most of these, if not all of them, are not written by Christians. An article written by a professor from Harvard, Samuel Huntington, titled Clash of Civilizations, published in the journal Foreign Affairs, has meant a great deal to me. An article by Robert Kaplan in the Atlantic Monthly, titled The Coming Anarchy, and a very fascinating article in the journal The Economist, the fundamental fear talking about Islam and its impact on the world. And then a book that just a few months ago came out by the well-known author John Nesbeth titled Megatrends Asia. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. Of course, not only these recent writings, but more than anything else, the Word of God guides me in what I say. Let me very briefly talk about sort of the theme that John Nesbitt has in his book. He talks about eight major trends, mega trends, that are shaping our present world and will continue to do that. don't have time to talk about all of them, and I'm not going to touch on them uh, all, but let me just briefly say this, this is sort of the gist of what he's saying. By the year 2000, the economic power of the world will most likely have shifted from nation states to networks, 
The leaders in this economic shift are Asians, more specifically overseas Chinese network, those ethnic Chinese who live outside of mainland China. What is going on in Asia today will radically change our world. Then he says, and he's from the U.S., he's a Western person, and this is what he says. There is a call for the West to stop lecturing the East. The West does not have the moral standing to tell others what to do. It is the breakdown of the family in the West that is leading to its social decay. My time is, I don't have time to go over all that I intended to say regarding what he's talking about. In summary, he's saying that we need to work in networks. The Asian network is going to be influencing the world. There are some interesting suggestions from political and economic areas which can really give us some good insights as to how we as world Christians need to impact the world for Christ. And we can learn a lot, I feel personally, from Nesbeth. Samuel Huntington art, Huntington's article is a fascinating article. He's saying that our world conflicts are not going to be based on nation-statehood concepts. In, in other words, the geography of the countries, this country against this country. He's saying that our conflicts are going to be based on civilizations because we have borderless countries. The world will be shaped, he says, in large measure by the interactions among seven or eight major civilizations. Western, Confucian, Japanese, Islamic, Hindu, Slavic Orthodox, Latin American, and possibly, he says, African. I don't know why he put it that way, but that's how he says it. He says that people are beginning more and more to show their identity in light of the civilization that they belong to. And this means we need to learn about those civilizations as much as possible if we are going to function as world Christians. If we want to live on our own street and don't want to know anything about the other street, that's all right to do without learning about other civilizations. He says, after discussing several things, he brings it down to that the major conflict is going to be between two civilizations. That is, the West 
and Islam. He says, the next world war, if there is one, will be a war between civilizations. This is sort of his conclusion. He says, this will require the West to maintain the economic and military power necessary to protect its interest in relation to these civilizations. It will also require the West to develop a more profound understanding of the basic religious and philosophical assumptions underlying these civilizations. It will require an effort to identify elements of commonality between Western and other civilizations. But what does it mean to us as Christians? I'm reminded of the words of a great leader, Dr. Charles Malik, former Lebanese ambassador to the United Nations, a signer of the United Nations Charter, and president of the 13th General Assembly, who once said, the needs of the world are much deeper than political freedom and security much deeper than social justice and economic development, much deeper than democracy and progress. The deeper needs of the world belong to the sphere of the mind, the heart, and the spirit, a sphere to be penetrated with the light and grace of Jesus Christ. This is where we are. Very briefly, let me touch on, I'm skipping some things, but let me touch on some suggestions from one brother to other Christian brothers and sisters as to what we need to do in light of the kind of world these articles and books are talking about. First of all, we need to become world Christians, world Christians who embrace faith rather than religiosity. In true world Christian faith, there is no division between sacred and secular. For a believer, it is all the same. It is sacred. It is God-created. It is our responsibility. Such a Christian realizes that she is a witness in all arenas and that Christian perspectives, values, and actions are to be thoroughly brought into every domain. And another part of that we need to remember that God can and has used Christians and non-Christians and even donkeys at times to show truth. Sometimes we become so arrogant. We feel if something has not been said by a Christian, how could it be right? God does use people. He has his own ways. 
A world Christian realizes that true, true Christian faith is not Western only. While true Christian faith allows for whatsoever is good, true, and lovely in every culture to flourish, it is never captured fully by any one culture. True faith welcomes and appreciates the good, true, and lovely in every culture. Thus, mature faith never wraps itself in those trappings of culture that would restrict others from faith or would serve to dominate them. It does not mean, therefore, one should give up Western values. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, therefore, one should deny being from the West. Not at all. But keeping in mind that our identity comes from Christ, not from the region of the world to which we belong. A world Christian realizes that all of us are interconnected. One thing happens here, people over there in the other continent know just like this. Such a Christian realizes that what we do here in the West has an, has an effect on other parts of the world and vice versa. So we are not living in an island. We are influenced by people and we are influencing people good or ill. We are influencing and we are being influenced. And such a Christian realizes the church is a universal rather than just a local body. We are part of a huge throng of people from all tribes and from all tongues. Some might express their faith much differently than you do or than I do, but they're all part of the same church. A world Christian seeks to develop world consciousness. Such a Christian seeks to keep up with what is going on in the world. Then a world Christian seeks both to do and support what is good and just for the whole humanity, not just for his or her own group. One needs to be just when you look at the world affairs, not because my theology of the end times lead me in a certain way, therefore no matter what Israel does is right. If it is wrong, if it is unjust, it is unjust for Israel as much as it is unjust for Palestinians. How sad it was a few years ago, some of the so-called evangelical leaders in this country took a full-page ad in New York Times in supporting Israel no matter what Israel does. And some of the things that were being supported were completely wrong and unjust according to any biblical standard. We should support what is just and right 
not just because we happen to support a country. It was Kissinger who said one time, nations have interests, they don't have friends. So sometimes, just because of our national interest, we are willing to sacrifice Christian values. And we, as world Christians, cannot and should not afford to do that. Second suggestion, seek to develop an understanding of other civilizations. In light of Huntington's article and Nisbet's book, because of the serious clash that we are moving toward and already have, we need to know what our neighbors think. And as I said earlier, especially about Islam, we need to learn something about it. An understanding of Islam will include an appreciation of the complexity of this civilization, such as such an understanding will include the following. A realization of the relationship between Islam and Christianity over the years. Our commonalities, our history, our differences. The realization that Islam is not limited to traditional Muslim countries. An understanding of how Islam is spreading in many parts of the world and especially in the West here in the United States. There are more Muslims right now, there are more Muslims in this country than Presbyterians. It is said that in, by the year 2005, there will be more Muslims than Jews in this country. Thousands of mosques and lots of other things that you know that are happening. So we need to know more and more about it so we can talk to our neighbors intelligently, not live with some of the stories we have heard. And I skipped some things. Let me go to my third suggestion. Participate in the process of developing networks of Christians across people groups and around the world. Christians from various cultures need to learn to work together. Some traditional mission organizations still have some very funny ideas that missionaries from the West are the only people who know how to tell others about Christ. On one hand, as I said, I'm product of that kind of mission organization, and I'm thankful to God for that. On the other hand, I say, get off of my back, and let's work together. Let's walk hand in hand.
Christians will need to learn from each other and across cultures. It's very interesting sometimes I find when I sit in mission organizations or other places, the idea is for anybody, not only from the West, but anybody that I go, whether it is an inner city mission work, whether in the next town, whether across the waters or wherever, somehow or other, I am taking God there. God has never existed there before. And I put him in a little box and I'm going to go there and I'm going to release him. My friends, God has been there. Just go there and see him work. All he needs you needs there is your God-touched life. Yesterday I was so touched and encouraged in our meeting with some of the student leaders and Karen Saylor. Karen, thank you for sharing what you shared. I didn't get your permission that I was going to use this. But your work, you indicated, I think it was with the potter's clay, you went thinking that you were going to give them something as you said it. But how beautiful it was just to hang out with people there, as you said, and learning from that. And from their poverty, they treated you so nicely and you learned something about the love of Christ. They gave you the best meal. They became your friends. This is how Christians work with each other. of student world or candid, potential candidates. These are coming from many different cultures. Just know how to deal with them. We as Christians need to learn to combine our resources. A year ago I was in Turkey with some other friends for a sort of a secret conference there and the purpose of the conference was to meet with some of the suffering Christians, persecuted Christians in Muslim lands. And here the idea of the people who arranged this conference was that we were going to encourage them and tell them how to live. I felt this big sitting there, this little. Because here were people who carried the marks of beating and other things on their life on their bodies and they were such an encouragement to us that yes this is all right this is for Christ some people have one kind of resource other people have another kind of resource let's combine those and go out as a team and working together my last suggestion learn to live out your faith now Seek to share your faith in word and deed now. It is tempting, especially for college students, to keep focusing on the future. But faith, 
like all aspects of life, is only actualized in present. Those who learn to live out their faith now will also live it more effectively in the future. Learn something cross-cultural. If you have that kind of an experience here, it'll be much easier to cross some cultural barriers when you go much farther away from your home. Go beyond the privatized faith. We often make the observation that as hearts are changed, society changes. But sometimes that doesn't happen because we have not connected with people. We haven't touched other people. We haven't learned from other people. If I had time, I'd like to talk more about it. But briefly, let's learn from people like Mother Teresa. Let us learn from others. A spouse of faith that is radical than just safe. Jesus did not live in the comfort zone, nor did he encourage his followers to do so. Let's become radical world Christians. Let me say a word to the faculty and administration. You are models to your students in many ways. And if in these areas, in these experiences and sharing, the claims of Christ in word and deed, cross-culturally, in many other aspects, if you can be that kind of a model to the students, that will be great encouragement to them. Mahatma Gandhi, and I'm a very fond of him, appreciate his many of his speeches, said one time about Christ, a man who was completely innocent offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became a ransom to the world. It was a perfect sacrifice. But at the same time, he said to us Christians, Give me your Christ. Keep your Christianity. My friends, as we become world Christians, let's learn from each other. Let's share Jesus Christ in this world that is fragmented, that is broken, in a way that we are good neighbors that we live out our faith in some very practical terms. Walk with me just for a minute at the railroad station in Bombay. Look at this blind boy selling apples. People are going back and forth and a passenger in rush to the train kicks the basket of this blind boy. All of his apples are scattered, his coins from a little 
tin can are scattered. Everybody is running by. Finally, one passenger comes and he picks up the bruised, scattered apples and scattered coins, puts them together, leaves them in that basket, and walks, begins to walk away. And as he does, the blind boy hollers, Hey, mister, hey, mister, are you Jesus? May you and I be mistaken for Jesus again and again. The way we love, the way we live, the way we pick up the bruised apples and put them back in the basket of the blind boy. Thank you very much, Bart. <laughs>